0: We've been looking at encounters with Jesus from the Gospel of John. And remember that according to John himself, his whole reason for writing his Gospel is that we would believe, that we would behold, that we would encounter Jesus. And that in encountering him, the Word made flesh, the light of the world that we would taste, that we would see, and that we would experience life in his name. And John's desire is our desire here at Carriage Lane, that whether you've walked with the Lord for decades or for days, or perhaps you're here and you're not walking with him at all, that no matter however or whatever brought you through those doors, our desire is that you would encounter Jesus. Because encountering Jesus changes people. And this morning we come to Jesus' encounter with a man born blind. So I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word or to grab a few back Bible in front of you and turn with me to John chapter 9. And as you're turning there, one of over the years I've come to uh, really appreciate uh, a really simple thing about living in Georgia. And that is that every month of the year, we get to see the sun. Yes, we have the occasional week or perhaps two where it rains or feels incessantly overcast and dreary. But typically, even in January, February, March, and even April, there are days and sometimes even weeks when the sun still shines. Which isn't the case everywhere in the world. I mean, during my first winter while I was living up north, there was a 70-day stretch between February and May where I never saw the sun, which might not mean much for our brothers and sisters living in Seattle. But for this Georgia boy, 70 days without the sun was not much fun because the perpetual darkness and dreariness weighed on me. Studies show that prolonged that a prolonged lack of dark uh, lack of sunlight not only affects our mood and our temperaments but over time darkness can diminish our immune systems and it can even begin to weaken our bones because darkness has a way of slowly eating away at us and one of the big themes the big motifs in John's gospel is light versus darkness that into the darkness a light has come. That in Christ a new day has dawned. That Jesus, as he proclaims about himself in John 8, is the light of the world. And here in John chapter 9, he demonstrates that his light that is the light that has overcome the darkness. Yet even as the light comes storming and rushing in the darkness though diminished and defeated, still remains. So the question then becomes, as those who in Christ are living in the light, how do we faithfully navigate all of the darkness that we will inevitably encounter? Which leads us to this man born blind. So this morning I want us to see two things from our passage. The darkness we navigate... And the light that shines. So, hear now God's word from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered them, "'The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes "'and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. "'So I went and washed and received my sight. "'And they said to him, where is he? "'He said, I do not know. "'They brought to the Pharisees the man "'who had formerly been blind. "'Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud "'and opened his eyes. "'So the Pharisees again asked him "'how he had received his sight.' And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And they answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Thus far the word of the Lord, if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is your word. So Father, would you help us to behold you, to encounter our Christ and be forever changed. We pray these things now in your son's name. Amen. So our first point is the darkness we navigate. One of the striking things about this encounter is the darkness that continues to surround this man born blind even when he has his sight throughout this whole story. To begin with, we need to see the darkness of his suffering and his sorrow. Physically, our story begins with a blind man, which meant he lived his life in darkness, for he was a man born blind, a man who needed help and support for the majority of life's ordinary and extraordinary task. What made things Worse was that his blindness carried with it a reputation. A reputation that assumed that while he was in utero, either he or his parents had sinned. And as a result, he was born blind. Which means in the eyes of everyone in the town, save for Jesus, there was something shady about this guy. There was something icky and sticky about him or his parents. There was some question about him. There was something dubious about him and his parents. That's why the disciples ask the question that they do in verse 2. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There was also this assumption that the Pharisees used to dismiss and discount anything that the blind man says in verse 34, saying, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? Because the assumption of that day, and really many days before it and after it, is that suffering can always be tied to a specific sin. If you remember, that's what Job's friends sought chapter after chapter to convince Job about. That somewhere in his youth, somewhere in his childhood, he must have done something bad. That he must have done something bad to deserve, to merit the bad things that were happening to him. And the thing about this assumption is that it's partially true. There can be natural and obvious consequences for sin, like for the student who gets expelled for cheating on an exam, or the drunk driver who swerves into a ditch and gets injured. The thing is, it's just not always true. Not all of our suffering can be directly linked to a specific sin. Like in the case of Job, and in the case of this man born blind, sometimes our suffering is, as Jesus says in verse 3, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes we suffer because our God is at work. And he's doing something amazing. Because he sovereignly and providentially is working all things together for the good of those who love him. So yes, sorrow and suffering are part of life in this broken world. Whether public or private, seen or unseen, life inflicts wounds upon us all. Sometimes from a lack of wisdom or a lack of obedience. But sometimes life hurts in order that our God might be glorified as we, his people, cry out to him in faith. And this passage shows us just this. As we see Jesus heal this man born blind. Yet even as light bursts through his pupils, For the very first time, some of the very first few things he beholds are still rather dark and rather difficult. In verses 8 to 18, he sees the miracle suspected. In verses 19 to 23, we see that he's a son neglected. And in verses 24 to 34, he's a man who's rejected and then he's ejected from the only community he's ever known. So the miracle suspected. In verse 8, he returns home after washing in the pool of Siloam, having seen the sun, the sky, the ground, the back of his hands, all for the very first time. And as he approaches, voices he recognizes, but faces he's never seen before. He's met with suspicion rather than excitement. Despite his earnest protest and pleas with them. many don't believe that it's actually him choosing instead to come up with some outlandish theory rather than believing the miraculous truth of the story. We see it in verse 9 that for some, their working theory is that the man before them was someone else entirely. Someone who just happened to look eerily like this man born blind. But again and again and again, he insists that he is the man. So they ask in verse 10, well, then how were your eyes opened? So he told them, for the first time, his story. Yet despite hearing the truth, they still refused to believe it, going instead to the Pharisees, to the religious rulers, to help them make sense of what exactly was going on there. And as they go to the Pharisees in verse 13, we need to realize that the Pharisees have a problem. Jesus is becoming a threat to them. And the news about Jesus just seems to be spreading. And the crowds just seem to keep flocking to him. And Pharisees have tried to debate him, trick him, set him up. Yet nothing they've ever thrown at him has ever come close to working. In fact, for all their efforts, his proverbial star just keeps shining all the brighter. So now they're resorting to a smear campaign. Saying in verse, 13, verse 16 that he was a sinner because he didn't keep the Sabbath. And as a sinner, there was no way he could do a miracle like giving sight to a blind man. And the problem, the flaw in their logic is one, Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. And two, there's a guy who everyone knows was once blind, now staring, back, staring them directly in the eyes. So what do the Pharisees do? Well, they go to the parents. And what our blind man now sees is his own parents abandon him. He's a son neglected, frustrated that they can't discredit Jesus directly. The Pharisees begin to go after his potential followers, making it known that anyone who declared Jesus to be the Christ would immediately be put out of the synagogue that they would be cast out of their community, that all of their family and friends would be expected to abandon and cut ties with them. That while excitement may have initially been their response, the fog of fear has swept in and gripped their hearts. And we see that in their responses, only answering the basics that wouldn't get them into any trouble. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. See, rather than defending their son, rather than defending their little one, rather than being ecstatic for their once blind son, they instead cower in fear, leaving their son. To defend himself against these religious rulers as they come again. To, to question and interrogate him. So having seen the miracle, suspected, a son neglected, we see now a man rejected and ejected from his community. Verses 24 to 34, the Pharisees circle back around on the man born blind. But this time they don't pull any of their punches. In verse 24, they quote Joshua seven nineteen, saying, Give glory to God, which is what Joshua said to Achan when he confronted Achan in his sin. And Achan, caught red-handed, finally admitted to what he had done. So what the Pharisees are saying to this man born blind is that we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And because he is a sinner, he couldn't have done what you say he's done. So the time has come. To give it up, to stop the lie, to confess the fraud, and to come clean. Give glory to God by telling the truth. And the only problem with doing what they're asking him to do is the truth. Because it wouldn't be giving glory to God because Jesus had healed him. Jesus had given the blind man sight. And as we will see, the man born blind does, in fact, give glory to God because he doesn't flinch an inch, saying in verse 25, One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And from here, the Pharisees begin to debate with this man, and things quickly run off the rails as a once blind beggar wipes the floor with them. So never dealing with the substance of his arguments in verse 28, they revile him, they mock him. They eventually resort to playground conflict resolution, i.e. name-calling, saying, well, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. In other words, what they're saying is, don't you realize who we are? We are important. We are significant. We are a big deal. We are high. And you, sir, are a nobody. Actually, you're far worse than a mere nobody. Because you were born in utter sin. So blinded to the truth they are. That they then wield their power and their authority by having him removed. Having him cast out of the synagogue. So why look at the darkness of this passage? Particularly since there's so much light in it. Because in navigating our way through this life, we will inevitably encounter an awful lot of darkness. And the darkness can eat at us, it can weigh us down, it can discourage us. At times, it can even entice us. And at others, it can seemingly overwhelm us. But, brothers and sisters, Psalm 139.12 reminds us that even the darkness is as light with him. That we don't have to face the darkness, the darkness of this world, the darkness that we encounter in this life, in the dark. But in Christ, we get to face the darkness in the light. Friends, we can endure the great darkness of our world Because the light of the world has come, and it is he who is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path, it is he who goes before us, who goes with us, and he goes behind us all the days of our lives. Which brings us to our second point that amidst all of the darkness of this passage, that there is a brighter light that shines a light brighter than even the darkness. And the light that shines is the light of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. First, verse 1 tells us that as Jesus passed by, he saw this man. From our passage here today, to his introduction with Simon Peter, to his introduction to Nathaniel by the fig tree, to the paralytic in John 5, John is always telling us that Jesus sees people, that his eyes have a way of locking in on them, that he doesn't just look past them, he doesn't just make false assumptions about them, but he sees them. He sees beyond their brokenness. He sees underneath their mask. He sees their hearts, their desires, but ultimately he sees their desperate need Of him. And brothers and sisters, the same is true of us. Our Savior, Jesus, sees us. And He sees our desperate need for Him as well. That, like this man born blind, we too were born in sin's dark darkness, separated from God, separated from the light of life. But in and through the gospel, we've been brought near because of the life and the light of Christ. Our Savior who sees us and who knows our frame. Hebrews twelve two reminds us of a stunning gospel reality that as we run the race, as we live the life of faith before us, we do so by looking to Jesus, by setting our gaze upon Jesus, the founder of, and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, which begs the question, what was the joy that was set before him? Brothers and sisters, it was us. It was the sheep of his Pasture, his beloved bride, whom he rescued from out of the bondage of her sin and lovingly and graciously brought her into relationship with God the Father by taking upon himself the guilt of our sin and giving to us his righteous perfection. Brothers and sisters, despite our past, Despite our present failures and shortcomings, the eyes of our Savior are not full of disappointment, of shame, of frustration, or of regret. No, his eyes are full of joy because we are his. Because of the redemption that he himself has accomplished on our behalf. the second ray of light we see is in verses six through seven. We see that the light has the power to overcome great darkness. The miracle that Jesus performs here is a little more extravagant than some of the others that Jesus performs. Sometimes he just speaks and things happen. Sometimes physical touch is involved and sometimes he heals people from miles away. But the details of this miracle are quite remarkable. As Jesus spits on the ground as he forms and kneads the dust into mud, and then he anoints the man's eyes with the mud and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which our text for some reason tells us means sent. The point here being that the God of creation has come to recreate that which was broken by the fall, and that Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was the sent one the one sent by the Father to be the light of the world, the one who came to restore and to make right all that was broken. Our third ray of light comes from verses 8 through 34. And we see that even the faintest of lights can still shine in the darkness. If ever the darkness could snuff out the light, it would have been here in these verses. Here's a man born blind. He would have likely had no formal education to speak of. And up until this point, he's being questioned about a man whose face he's never seen before. And undergirding all of this is the loaded threat that the Pharisees were going to cast out anyone who declared Jesus to be the Christ. And it's all of these underlying variables that transform what on the surface is an almost humorous dialogue into something that is utterly amazing. So have a look down to verses 25 to 33, because this is worth reading again. And he, the man born blind, answered, Whether he, Jesus, is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that though I was blind... Now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Friends, it really is good news that we have a God Who makes wise the simple. And we see that in this man. A man who illustrates beautifully the Apostle Peter's challenge that we should always be prepared, that we should always be ready to give a defense of the hope that is within us. So, where does this faith, where does this courage, where does this kind of boldness come from? Because this encounter is remarkable, isn't it? That against all odds, that against all comers, against all adversaries, as John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, it cannot, and it will not ever overcome it. Therefore, this light is a light that comes from above That the light, the faith, and the courage glistening from this man's life is a light, is a faith, and a courage, and a boldness that's from above. And in and through the person and the work of Christ, that light now abides in us. As he, the light of the world, lives in our hearts through faith. Our fourth ray of light comes from verses 35 to 37. A Savior who searches and who saves. Word gets back to Jesus that this man born blind has been cast out of the synagogue. Cast out of the only community that he's ever known. So what does Jesus, our Savior, do? He goes out searching for him and he finds him, and he reminds him of who he is. Because as Jesus promises in John fourteen eighteen, he will never leave us as orphans. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us, but he will come to us as he came to this man and draw near. He comforts And he reassures him of the truth of who he is. That he is the Christ. That he is the light of the world. And that he truly is the son of man. He's the one that they've been waiting for. And brothers and sisters, our Savior does the exact same thing for us through his word. He draws near to us. And he reminds us of who he is. That Jesus is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who has conquered sin and conquered death. His is the steadfast love that is better than life. His is the power and the glory forever and ever. For he is the one who has come. And who is coming again to make all things new. And to wipe every tear from our eyes. And when we see Jesus, when we behold our Christ, it produces in us what it produced in this man. Look down to verse 38 Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So as we come to a close, the text begs a question How will we respond to Jesus, the light? Of the world? Will we, like the Pharisees, be blinded by the light, seeing the truth yet ignoring it, diverting our eyes and plugging our ears so that we can continue to walk in darkness rather than light? Or will we respond like the man born blind who, having seen the light, now lives? In that light. And what does life look like in the light? Well, as verse 38 tells us, it looks like a life of worship. A life of looking to and gazing upon, of trusting and obeying Jesus Christ, our Savior. The light of the world. The light that shines in the darkness. A light that is brighter, fairer, and greater than all the darkness that we will ever encounter. So in that light, let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. Let us love the Lord who bought us, who pitied us when enemies called us by his grace and taught us. Who gave us ears and gave us eyes that we may see and we may behold him in all of his glorious grace for now and for all of eternity. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ the light has come, that the light has been flipped on and that we see this world, we see what you have called us to do, that we live in the light of Christ. So Father, would you Help us as we seek to navigate and walk this life in the light. So, Father, help us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to trust you. Help us to look to you all the days of our lives. These things we pray in your son's name. Amen.